This is CliffCentral.com. Yes, it's another edition of the Unplugged and In Charge radio show on Cliff Central. My name is Bonello Kuzwa, you're well known as a small cuisine. Welcome again for another edition, a fantastic one, and I promise you today, it's been a very hectic day today, and I've, I've enjoyed it a lot because it's all about productivity every single day, trying to push yourself to reach those goals um, and to make sure that you get closer to your dream. But yeah, thank you very much for tuning in, uh, tuning in once again. We have another jam-packed show. We have a very interesting show today. We're going to be talking about whole food. Uh, restaurants. We're going to be talking about uh, two gentlemen um, who who have done well in, within their parts um, uh, parts of life. They're going to share their stories, their motivational stories. We're all about motivation on the Unplugged and In Charge Radio Show. If you want to get in touch with, with us, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Sbokuzi. You can follow the Cliff Central handle, which is at Cliff Central. You can tag us, and if you want to ask any questions, um, do tweet us. Do um, follow us on Instagram. I'll be showing my Instagram story so that you see the two gentlemen on in studio. Who are going to be talking to me And I'm very, very, very pleased to have them on the show And once again, we're all about bringing you stories That are going to motivate you That are going to uh, touch you back home To make sure that you reach for your goals And we're here to, it, I mean, it's almost the weekend It's midweek, uh, sort of So yeah, we bring you stories that are here um, That can spark your, 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 your mind To make sure that you hustle every single day Make every day count And, and today I have two gentlemen um, That are going to share their stories um, and their journeys in life uh, from rock bottom, they're going to share the stories where they went wrong, where they slipped up, where they hit rock bottom and came back. But yeah, I'm not going to give away too much. Uh, stay tuned because we have the whole hour between three and four every single Thursday. It's the Unplugged Radio Show. And once again, just before I start, uh, do hashtag us on social media. It's um, hashtag the un- uh, hashtag Unplugged Radio Show. Hashtag Unplugged Radio Show. Or you can also get in touch with us through WhatsApp. The number is 079-748-2090. It's 079-748-2090. And you can send us the WhatsApp messages to ask any questions. Um, and as you listen to the, to the guests on the studio, uh, if there's any questions that you want to ask and need clarity on, they do um, text us on that number. But yeah, it's the Unplugged and In Charge Radio Show. It's another edition. Trust me, it's going to be one of the best. But yeah, um, I'm not going to waste any time. If you're a food lover and a person that enjoys, um, you know, going out, uh, whining and dining, um, you know, even at home, whether you prepare good meals, uh, you're a person that, um, you know, loves good food and you want some of the tips. Um, I've got someone that is interesting for you today that's going to share some of uh, something interesting that you might want to hear, especially to the ladies. And there are some men. Again, he is a male. Uh, he's going to share some 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 tips for the kitchen. Uh, some interesting things. Maybe you do things in a different way. Maybe today, if you hear something, you might want to um, um, try, try it. Um, so yeah, I'm going to bring them on to come closer to the mic, gentlemen. Um, uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Um, I'm Tumero Maepa. Uh, basically, I come from a small town in. I grew up in Middleburg. Uh, it's all the way in Mpumalanga. Uh, as a young man, I went to. I went to a school, a young small school. It's a multiracial school called um, East Dean, and then I went to Stillcrest High School. After um, matric, uh, I moved over to Pretoria. That's when I moved the site to come study. I did advertising management with uh, Varsity College, and I did communication science with uh, with UNISA. So on, along that journey, I obviously started doing um, promotions. I was working as a promoter, all the way from sampling yogurt in in, in stores to. St- 
doing uh, doing like Gillette Mark III, selling Gillette and stuff like that. I was a very young guy. I mean, the money was was coming in handy. I think that's where I, lo- I learned quite a few things about the marketing and advertising that I was I was studying for. And then I got a permanent job after four years of working as a promoter at the very same company, the Creative Council. Um, I got a job as a project assistant, and then I worked as a project coordinator. That's when I dealt with install sampling, uh, install sampling campaigns like your Tastic. I did from Tastic to MBPer, from to toilet aerosols. I think I managed uh, a whole uh, a whole range of products there. And then um, after that, I, I moved to Philip Morris, South Africa. It's a tobacco company. They do your, your Marlboro. So I started working there as a legal age channel executive. I think that's where my journey into the whole food and entertainment really started because I was looking after your restaurants, your lounges, your pubs um, with tobacco as well in clubs. I was making, dealing with events, uh, sampling, uh, getting the products in. I worked there for two years. I got promoted to a commercial planning executive. Um, Marlboro was bringing in a, a new range into the country. I was part of a team of eight that worked on it basically launching, doing, uh, launching the product into the country. We started off quite small in Soweto and expanded nationally. Um, I think that was, it was a huge learning curve. I mean, working on an international product and launching it into the country was quite a huge, uh, huge step for me. Um, afterwards, um, I moved out. Um, I moved to Erot's now. Um, it's a liquor company. I went into the liquor industry. I looked after over 120 restaurants, pubs, lounges. It was, it was my thing. I even went all the way to taverns and Shisanyama and almost Shisanyama. So I dealt with my brands were Remy Martin, Glenn Friedrich, Sky Vodka, um, your Crans, your Russian Bear. So I dealt with all those active brands and <laughs> I, literally, I literally looked out for those yeah. in all the townships. Um, basically, my job description was quite simple. You get the product in, you're going to get the pullout. Pullout from restaurants, you're looking at dinners, doing food pairings with liquor and all that other stuff. And the other ones in clubs, it was basically your, your events uh, side of things. And then, yeah, so I, I did that for, I think, two, three years. And then that's when I decided to start my own thing, I guess, with all the knowledge, knowledge that I learned there. Yeah. Jeez, man, you've just mentioned quite a journey within a few seconds. That <laughs> is a, a lot. That's a mouthful. And that's a lot to actually contain. But um, I'm going to just slow it down. Okay. As much as you've mentioned, that's like mentioning your whole CV <laughs> in one go. But, I mean, I just want the people, the listeners back home, just to make sure that they catch on. And you know, we do things in a, in a chronological yeah, order. Sure. You know, um, I, I want to know in terms of, I mean, did you ever see yourself at any given point in time earlier on in your life doing what you're doing right now? Um, not at all, to be honest. Um, I think in, in, in the whole transition of me being, I think if you take it way back for me being a promoter to getting a permanent job, there's quite a, a few failures. And even before coming into this, um, just a simple example, we, we did quite a few stuff with, uh, you know, when you start companies with a few mates and you're mm. hoping that mm. without the knowledge, you resign from your job and you're like, okay, I'm going to start something. We literally started a bar company and we also did wellness, uh, wellness programs and only to find that we, we didn't have the necessary stuff. We didn't have the necessary money to, you know, a few gigs. We, we thought, oh no, we can actually do this. We, we're going to get the funding. We're going to be fine. And I think that's when we started finding out, okay, we need more money for this we need for money for this actually let's go back to employment guys because this is not working out yeah um obviously that's a that, that's a setback and and some people might take it as a failure but i think that was a huge learning curve to make sure that before you dive into anything you, you're mm. fully prepared mm. and uh well, what we learned from that was it's quite a lot of things um 
I think in terms of planning and getting your customers and customer retention and that was the important uh, important element of that business and we didn't have it in place. We just had a few customers. We thought, okay, now mm-hmm. we have clients. We can do our own thing. Yeah. Um, it, it was quite a it was a huge setback. And even leading up to getting the restaurant, it was also quite a tough one. It's a, it's a long story. I don't know. Should I tell it now? It comes in <laughs> not, yet, not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Because I'm still <laughs> focusing on you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Especially for me, I came from Pumalanga, so moving up here, you know, after uh, second, third year, uh, my mom was, my mom and my dad separated and we basically, my mom moved. We used to stay in the Lani area of town in Pekin and Pumalanga in Middleburg. Okay, you can hold it there. That's where I'm actually interested in. I want to, I want to know about your upbringing. Um, what kind of a person you were yeah. uh, back at school? I mean, when you're still young, you know, because I'm sure there's certain things that we come across as young people yeah. and as we grow up that, that either um, make us realize some of the things that we would like to do later in the future in life. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you were a different kind of a person. You're a person that was into sports. Yeah. Uh, maybe you're an A student at school. Uh, maybe you're a person that, you know, always grew up in your household. Maybe at home you were given that duty to be able to cook or, you know, yeah. we want to, I'm interested to know what, what kind of an upbringing did you have? Um, you know, while you were young, that led you um, into obviously your high school and eventually into your into your university. But just take us back into your your early childhood years. Early childhood, for sure. Um, as I mentioned, when um, my parents broke up, we literally moved. We used to stay in a small, there's a small lonely town back in Middleburg, and then my mom and dad separated, and literally me and my mom moved to the township. I come from a family of four, mm-hmm. two guys, two girls. I'm, I'm the other guy, and. I think in terms of, I was, I wasn't an A student, but I was always told that I had the potential to be, you know, how teachers are. So I thought maybe I was, I was one of the naughty kids, to be honest. I was, <laughs> I was definitely not an A student. Sure. But the main thing, I think the reason I got away with it so much was because I played a lot of sports. I mean, from athletics, long jump, triple jump. When you go to your winter sports, there was rugby. And then you go after that, I would play cricket as well. So I think I was a, a favorite with a few teachers purely because of the sport. I think that's the only way I made it and, and stayed in those schools. Yeah. But, um, uh, in terms of the upbringing, it was mainly me and sport. Uh, my friend uh, normally laughs at me. I, I, I never did the whole partying thing from a young age and mm-hmm. uh, going to these house parties. I, I never got exposed to that. I was literally, it was sport, go home, sport, go home. Yeah. A night out for us was a PlayStation night when, when we were still growing up. You know, yeah, yeah. From, so the stuff that the grade eights would do or the grade nines were like, oh, those guys are quite cool. Sure. And then we'd move away from that. So I think in terms of childhood, obviously with the breakup and stuff, it did, I, I can say it did affect in terms of my schooling and, and all that other stuff. But I think I pulled it through and uh, I, I did well, I guess. So then, at the point where your, your your parents separated, that means that you you lived with your mother. Yeah. So you're. You um, we we actually moved to. It was a uh, for one of our aunts put us into the. There was two back rooms, uh, back rooms at the back, and yeah. they literally put us in there. Um, it was uh, me and my me and my brother on the other side, and the other side was me, my uh, my mom, my small sister, and my older sister. Mm-hmm. So we literally stayed in the two bedroom. That was for like two years. Yeah. Um, you know how it is when you're that young. You you just moved out from uh, the, the town area, the London area. You'd hide it from your friends. School transport. I'd be like, Nah, drop me off over there. <laughs> you know, drop me off very quite far from where I stay, and yeah, just so I can yeah. walk home because you don't want them to see. And then you get home, and then the reality the reality is there. You know, you you back at home, and uh, it's not the 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 setting you used to. But you know, obviously, the the mother figure then 
just stands out. You can just see how strong women are. Only now when you look back to say, how did she manage to do that? We, mm-hmm. we still could go to school. We still had transport. We still had food, even though it was, you know, in a small, small, a very small household. 100%. I mean, yeah. actually, you just actually explained, because I wanted, I was going to ask you in the terms of the transition, how did you deal with it? Now, in terms of that transition, did it, in, did it demotivate you at any, 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 at, at, at any stage? Um, cause I'm sure, um, at that stage, you had, uh, dreams, you, there's certain things that you wanted to pursue, certain things that you want to achieve. How did you manage to keep yourself going from it, that, from that transition? Yeah, I think in the beginning it did demotivate me. I literally got, um, I did some other things and I think I was getting into fights and all that stuff. I eventually got suspended even though I'm a sports in grade nine. I got suspended for like three months. It was in the June period mm. and I was in grade nine at that time and, Literally, my mother didn't even get angry because I think she understood where, where where all this frustration is coming from or where all the fighting is coming from. So that that transition was tough. Um, I didn't. I don't, I don't think I dealt with it quite well or the way I should have dealt with it. So literally got suspended. They said, ah, now you have to repeat the grade because it's June anyway. If you fail June, there's no way you're going to pass into the year. I still mm. went to class and stuff. And then the following year, that's when I really picked myself up. Um, things were looking, were looking up again. Uh, the mother figure again managed to find a place. We found a, uh, we moved into a four bedroom, one of those four bedroom houses and we moved into there and we stayed there for, for the rest of my, for the rest of my schooling year. So something like that, that type of upbringing, it can only knock you down in those times. But for me to leave home and then go study in Pretoria, you can understand the, the whole motivation and drive behind it. You know, you know that I'm not coming from a, a very cozy uh, yeah, background. Yeah. You'd get there. Uh, I, I had my classes, but I would still be, I'll still do the promotions part of it. And, and that's, I always tell people that's a very important part in my entire career, that small little time where I did promotions, because that's when I got a permanent job to work on campaigns. And then after working on campaigns, I got called by a bigger brand and the bigger brand and another bigger brand called me. So it's basically, it's a very important part. If you look at it, I was working just to make, just to help mom. If mom pays rent, I can it pay school fees. I can pay a bit of rent or do my own groceries. But if you look at it now, it, uh, I was getting, you're getting paid to learn basically. Yeah. It's yeah. Like you see, those are the kind of things that are interesting because, because <laughs> it's interesting that the things that you, you, you know, some people would just do for hobbies and earn money so they can, they can buy the latest shoe yeah, or yeah. buy the latest brands in terms of clothing. But yeah. rather you took it as a lesson to try and help back home. Yeah. And, and, you know, to assist mum. And yeah. again, the reason why I was so interested in terms of your upbringing is because to try and see in terms of some of the skills that you learned from a younger age yeah. that helped you to be able to maneuver yourself around in terms of your career and things yeah. that you wanted to pursue. But what I want, what I want to know, cause I mean, you mentioned that you, you worked with some of the marketing companies yeah. and, 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 and alcohol brands. Um, in terms of the promotions where you started, where did you start off at? Um, I started, I work here, I was working in the Pretoria side of things. I worked in uh, the Pretoria stores. So the Creative Council basically does BTL activations. Anything that's in store, out store, anything below the line, they do it. And we, I started doing, I remember it was my first training was for MBPER. MBPER was basically, it's a toilet, it's in like an air freshener aerosol. And basically what you have to do is go stand in the aisle and tell people about uh, MBPER or the toilet stuff that you dunk in the toilet over there. I, we were like, did it. I used to hide my shirt when going there, you know, just so people would see and then I get there, take it off, yeah. work in the aisle to do my job and, you know, go home afterwards. And then the, what they did is like you have a scoring system. So the, the better you do, the more sales you make, you get the better campaigns. So from getting 180, you'd move maybe 180 on a day, I mean, 180 on a day, you'd move to a campaign that sells 350, that pays you 350, I think. In about eight months up to a year, I started doing your big campaigns. I remember when, um, uh, ESCOM went to 
<coughs> when they started the whole load shedding thing, there was a whole campaign of uh, showing people how to save energy in the entire household from the uh, bathroom to the living room to solar water heating panels to photovoltaic systems that power up an entire house. I actually worked on that campaign and that's when I started earning, you know, um, quite a lot of money. If I, for me at that time, it was, it, it was good money. Mm. And yeah, so I think, it, it was a huge stepping stone and, and those are mainly what I did. So I started off with the promotions mm. and then I worked in your huge mall activations or the mm. big clients that the agency had. Mm. And then I obviously pulled me in to, to come assist. Um, there's something like a silly season. So OND, October, November, December, that's when campaigns are high, uh, co- uh, companies are activating quite more. I was called in to come assist in the office in terms of managing promoters and calling promoters, making sure people are in store and all that type of stuff. So after that, that's when they would say, okay, no, it's done. December is done. Come back, promote again next year. Although you're acting like the hot shot in the office, now you're back uh, promoting again. And then they called me for an interview um, to come interview me for a project coordinator. Mm-hmm. And then the client then, I, I did a dual client. It was Neotel. Then that's when they were launching. And I did... Um, though Testic was launching that Basmati one, so that whole Basmati packet thing, and I got involved in that one as well. So, yeah, yo man, I think I got one of the best of the best when it comes to the marketing <laughs> field because you know, you know, it's so nice that you share this information because, um, a large number of, of our listeners on, on the Unplugged and In Charge uh, show are young people, yeah, and I know for a fact that there's a lot of young people, especially university, university students. And young people that are within the corporate, maybe they're also dealing with something that's within advertising. Yeah. But more, more so with the young people that need, need inspiration. Hence, we are a very motivational, um, um, radio show. And, um, <clears throat> I find that the stuff that you are actually sharing, um, a lot of young people need to, I mean, hear about it because some young people, as I said, they just go to promotions because either they're students, they need extra money, you know, either to, to, to yeah. you know, to, to, to buy the latest clothing They want to yeah. fit into the crowd Some of them They have real Real situations Whereby like you You work so that you could um, You know Help mom at home With whatever that you needed To help yeah. help her out with yeah. But the interesting part Is that your story Is very inspiring Because From just doing simple Simple promotions You actually jumped into These big companies And you did Things that You know When I hear you speak about They're actually very big and yeah. it started off with just simple, simple jobs that many people yeah. take lightly. Yeah, I think it's very easy to take a job like that lightly. Yeah. You know, I won't lie. Yes, I was doing it to help home and the other one was to maintain our student lifestyle. We all know how, uh, as students, mm. sometimes we tend mm. to live. Mm. But, um, somebody, I think I once got a question to say, how does promotions help in, in, in all of this? And we literally, just to give you a simple example, if you're doing a promotion for MBPO, you go for training to get taught who's your target market, who you're targeting, how do you speak to them, what's your selling speech, how do you open the conversation? Yeah. And then you move from all that, you taught on reporting. How do you report on your sales report? How do you report on customer feedback? If there's customer feedback, they tweak it to say, okay, if the customer says the product is too big for the bathroom, they would literally feedback that into clients and then clients will make a smaller size. So, Jeez, so you know, that's when you learn to say, oh, okay, actually, this is how it works. And I was starting 
advertising at the time. I would, I would yeah. go, go back and, although it doesn't cover certain sections like your meter planning, but it would cover your strategic planning or your, your basic advertising management or copywriting. You look at a package to say, how does a customer read this? And I think so something small like that can actually be big. If, if you look at it in a greater scheme of things, you, you're learning and you're learning the small things of reporting back and then, you you go into a focus group. Client is asking you different questions. You wonder why these guys are asking us questions. Uh, blah, blah, yeah. blah. They ask you questions. You leave. Next thing you see, some of the feedback that you guys put in there is actually getting executed on the field. It's it's there in store. You're walking. Oh, okay. This is what's happening now. Oh, okay. That's cool. And then you'd move on. For for instance, the whole stuff with like your your escom and stuff. We would feedback to say, oh no, people don't. People didn't know that a shower head can save water. They literally did a. A live demo to show people how a shower head can save water and in turn save uh, electricity because it's pulling less from your geyser. Mm. So it's the small things that you, you you find as small, but if you look at it in the greater scheme of things, it's actually stuff you learn. I don't know about you, but uh, I mean, do you realize that you actually just shared a tutorial on marketing and, and skills and strategies and all of that thing? And it's so nice that you just speak about it so fluently because it's something that is within you. Yeah, you is, know, is, and, it, and 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 again, as I see that your your journey didn't end there, you you moved on to actually work with Philip Morris mm. and um, again there was another stepping stone into into your career tell us a, a bit more about that Jeez, that was big um, so Philip Morris was uh, I don't know I can't mention products because of radio tobacco. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll rather not cool. but they were launching a tobacco product um, into the country and uh, the main thing with them is that they they were targeting it was a new product and they wanted to make sure that it fits into the current market with all the attributes and everything. So we first started, they recruited six of us actually. It was six people to work in uh, the southwestern townships, obviously because Soweto is one of the biggest townships, it was the focus area. So I worked there for about a year or two dealing with your pubs, your lounges and all the other chairs and then... Later on, got promoted to a commercial planner. Commercial planner was basically dealing with trade programs that, or trade initiatives that deal directly with the, with the end sale when it comes to tobacco. So your, your hawkers, your, your street vendors and all that other stuff. It, it was because they generated more sales than certain stores or keys. So they were a huge focus. So we used to do trade programs and, and stuff to get them motivated, to get them selling the product, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think, yeah, with Philip Morris, that was a huge one. Um, it had an international eye in it. We, we had a, quite a lot of international guys coming in. I think in my first year, it was, you know, for us, it was, hey, I just got a job. It's cool. I'm working in clubs. Yeah. What are you doing? But you also had to do events. You had to do your feedback. Come up with activation plans and all that other stuff. So yeah, that was quite awesome. And then uh, tell us a bit more about your your experience within the liquor industry, with some of the brands that you work sure. with. Yeah, liquor industry. Um, I went to a company called Edward Snell. Um, they were basically they hadn't touched a specific area of the Pretoria market, which is like your Sochamuwe the townships that are far, yeah, So they were experiencing there was lack of uh, consumer engagement that side. So anyway, like your events and anything that would take place in in an on consumption. So I dealt specifically with on consumption. On consumption is anywhere a person can sit down and consume, and not buy and leave. So not a bottle store. So basically any on consumption spaces. Um, I dealt with that in terms of 
getting the availability, getting the consumer engagement up, getting the initiatives that are happening there. Um, we also had a gin, and gin was growing, so we had to grow it into, into a main market. So obviously, main market is, is totally different to your formal market. So town and township is totally different, different dynamics, mm. uh, different way of consuming, different reasons for consuming. Mm. So we had to tailor make stuff for for that part of um, for that part of the area. And um, I worked there for about two three years. Um, in that two years, I actually moved from the main market, which is mainly when you're doing your township, and then I moved into like your formal, informal market. It's basically where you look at your, it's like a town, but you still have places where people frequent, uh, like main market consumers frequent those places. We all drive out of Soweto to go somewhere, to go party somewhere. Yeah. So uh, I focused in those areas as well. Um, I dealt with same thing we were dealing with, but obviously now it's another different ball game. You're dealing more restaurants. I think that's that's where the love came in because I was dealing with a whole lot of restaurants. And you, it's over <laughs> 120. It was in in total. Yeah, it, I dealt with over 120 people in that outing. Damn that man, outing. you were doing the things. Yeah, it was tough, but yeah, man. I think with 120, you obviously have your key guys, and then you have your normal guys that you just look after. Yeah, and then the other stuff you, you you're pretty active. You know, clubs. There's always something happening. You know. Mm. To keep up with the trains, you need to keep up with the artists that are going and which club is going, which club is going down, which club is still stable, which one should I look after, which one should I, you know, you manage your own budget and mm. you, you do all that stuff in terms of liquor. So, so now I know that, um, I mean, this is a whole mixture of things. I mean, yeah, man, you're dealing with, uh, liquor, you're dealing with venues, you're dealing with restaurants, you're dealing yeah. with entertainment. Now tell me, how do you manage to keep the focus in, in your work and to make sure that um, you deliver and you, you improve and you move forward because I mean yeah. as as you're talking uh, from where you started off from yeah. just simple promotions yeah. um, you keep on climbing the ladder and climbing the yeah. ladder how did you manage to keep the focus on as you as you gain more experience and you're moving up and you're working with different things because yeah. there's a lot of temptation and there's a lot of distractions along yeah. the way but I mean that that needs someone that's going to know what they are doing that's going to know where they're headed to and what do they want and what was your what was your your me- your mechanism. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the indus- easiest industry to to get distracted in. Um, things can easily go wrong. I think the accessibility of that that nightlife and the fun and um, the liquor, if you if you put it like that, it, it's quite it's too easily accessible. You can True. get it as you will. You your favorites. You you now know the owner and you know you can get a big head and you know we've seen a lot of people. It has happened with uh, with with previous people. You. Get into a car accident because you were drinking, and then you get fired, and then you back to square one. Mm-hmm. So I think the the main thing is that you, you your your love for your love for the job or the, your love for marketing will always overpower the temptations that come with it. So mm-hmm. instead of you know we we, we all know that. It, yes, it's nice going to a party, whatever, but you would be, you normally, that's why a lot of people thought we get paid to have fun. Actually, you're going to a club to see how, uh, what's the latest trends? Um, how is a bottle getting delivered to a customer in the club? Are they buying it just because it's getting delivered like this? Or how are they consuming it? Are they consuming the long class? Do they prefer ice on the side? So you make an ice bucket on the side. So you're literally there to see all of those things and get the feedback. Are people talking to promoters or, oh, no, promoters are not working anymore? Okay, let's target the waiters. I think the waiters are a bit of because they talk to the customer, so you're there to to find the ways and you know feedback and and find fine tune and actually get a share of market. You get you get you get measured on your share of market. Are, are you gaining share? Are you gaining yeah. awareness? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you getting sales? If sure. there's no sales, then you're doing something wrong. So I think over and above your your love for marketing and the duty that you have there overpowers most of the stuff. Mm. It, it overpowers anything. You mm. literally go out to a club, three different clubs. Uh, 
Uh, I remember we, we, we had uh, a schedule when you're working there. You literally have to go to about three or four different restaurants or clubs and you're there to pick up consumer behavior. Like how do they act? What are they drinking? If they're eating, what are they eating with? Are they drinking water or, you know, it's, it's a whole lot of things that you need to, because you constantly need to keep up with the customer. Otherwise you're going to lose it. True. Your, another brand is going to do something better than you and then you're going to end up not getting share and, we all know how that's going to end up. All right. I think I've also seen you a couple of times. I mean, uh, <laughs> seen each other in places where, exactly. you know, you're around. I never, I never actually knew what it is exactly what you do, but yeah. I think through channels, I mean, today you and I are on the same, yeah. we, we're on radio and we're talking about this stuff, but I'm going to ask you two things. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, and these two things, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Now, firstly, I know obviously with the work that you do, you did receive a lot of, um, um, you know, stock and stuff. Was yeah. it, a, was there at any point that you were not faithful to your job? <laughs> so on my honest opinion, yeah. honest answer. hundred percent. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that it happens. It happens. Yeah. It happens. It happens. There are, there are, there's a lot of ways of getting around it, but you, you know, Is there it? is a lot of it. No, 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 but no, there's no way you can stay faithful. Yeah. Unless I did, if I didn't drink, yeah, maybe, but other than that, we, you, you definitely, if you get three bottles for someone, <laughs> you go there, you're like, ah, they only gave me two, I think we're out of stuff from something. And sure. Then, you, know, you put it in there. Sure. The other one is yours and you go right. back home and never pry. Yeah. yeah. And then the second question I want to ask now, I'm sure again, you being so associated with so, this kind of stuff from, uh, Different brands, whether it's 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 alcohol, whatever the case is. Mm. Um, did you end up at any stage begin to have people that got close to you because of what you had, not be really because they really want to be your friends, but they want to benefit yeah. from I mean stuff that I just asked you in terms of getting extra stock when it comes yeah. to alcohol, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, no, that definitely happens. How um, did you deal with it? I think the toughest thing with that is you. you because now you're attached to a specific brand, you can't really just brush off things and be rude to people or whatever because you're attached to a specific brand. They see that brand, they think of you. You you will have people who call you, hey, can you get me? You'll only receive a call if maybe someone has to go to a club and they want entrance or they want to go drink at that club. I think the best way, I think it was pretty tough. Now that you think of it, I don't know how I really dealt with that, but it'd be a matter of... Sometimes you just need to be honest. No, I can't do it. Or, okay, I will help you out. I think maybe uh, some might have taken advantage. You just help out those you can. If you can't, you just say you can't. And I never really looked into it, but it's obviously something you do notice. Um, mm-hmm. It does happen. Maybe I'm just being a bit humble by saying not a lot of people did it to me. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, it did happen. Eh? It does and then, happen. And then it's tough to deal with. How did you handle the, the opposite sex, the ladies? Because I'm sure the ladies are always, <laughs> no, you know. I told you. I told you we just get there and we look at the yeah. dynamics. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I mean, that's a... I guess, yeah, I was a wild child. Yeah, sure. I was, I was a pretty wild child. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, you just deal with it whatever way, man. Sure. I All right. I mean, thank you so much. I mean, um, I know that we still got a little bit more to sp- speak about. Um, there was, uh, Tumelo Mayeba at mm-hmm. the age of 29. You've done so much, my brother. Thanks. And, man. and, and it's very, very commendable and it's very inspirational and it's stuff. I think young people back home as they listen to the show, they're going to find a lot of inspiration and some tips in the, along the, along the way. And yeah, I mean, I just want to turn my head to, towards the gentleman that's sitting on your, on your right. And uh, you can come closer to the mic. I've got Togazani Shongwe, um, who's a chef. Um, I'm just going to quickly just, um, take a journey with you. Uh, I want us to, I want you to share, um, a bit of your life story as well. 
Where did you start off? Uh, where are you from? You can just start off by introducing yourself to the people back home. Yeah, my name is Togo Zanishongwe. I'm from Tembisa. Born, raised, still residing in Tembisa. Um, I'm a second of four. Uh, growing up in Tembisa, family was sort of well off. Early in the 90s, starting hitting the reality and the downs going into the 2000s, Y2K. Dad is self-employed. Mom never worked, so only relied on the dad's sort of income, mm-hmm. on the Shisanyamo thing. So that's where the love of the food started. Mm-hmm. Growing around, waking up in the morning on weekends, school holidays. Mm-hmm. I was that child going into the business, looking after all the shops at the deadhead, mm-hmm. deadhead around the township. Mm-hmm. So I was a child there, the responsible one. Yeah, even to this day, dad is late, uh, 2007, almost. 10 years now It's 11 years mm-hmm. So Started working Into the industry In 2004 Started down low After my matric In 2003 So I was A cleaner in the kitchen At the Intercontinental Airport Sun Got a leadership Did my internship With them there I was employed As a chef I worked with them For about Two years Till 2007 That's when I decided To branch out um, Learning into other spaces I I went to various hotels Working with international acclaimed chefs uh, Meeting up with the guys Going into the business Yeah mm, Okay That's interesting um, You said that you went to study for it uh, I did an internship Through mm-hmm. Southern Sun Oh, now it's Ocho Sun Okay Yes Alright, so uh, now You said how, 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 of how many kids are you at home? Um I'm the second of four. Second of four. Yes. Okay. Brothers, sisters? Yeah, two sisters, two brothers. All right. Who, who were you at any point in time within the family, uh, given the responsibility to cook for the family? Never. I only started cooking when I was working. Is it? Yes. I've never had any ambition of becoming a chef. <laughs> Not even once. Okay. It, it's something that found me because when I started working, literally, I finished my metric in 2003. The money wasn't there to study. I got a job just to say I'm going to pay for my fees in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I got the, I saw rock stars. Uh, I look up to chefs that I worked around. Okay. So most of the guys, when you ask them your favorite chef, they quote someone who's from overseas and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I can't relate to that. There are chefs I admire from overseas, but I admire guys that I've worked with that I've seen do magic in front of my eyes into the hotels and mm-hmm. the hotel kitchens. So I looked into that and it fitted me. Mm-hmm. Because they gave me an opportunity to come, come showcase yourself here mm-hmm. when they were lazing around. But that's what gave me an opportunity to showcase my ability as well. Sure. Because when I applied for the internship, I wanted an internship with a bigger, better salary then. Back mm-hmm. then, guys working front of house at hotels were paying much more than the chefs. Mm. It's, it's different now in these days. So I wanted to work at the reception, front of house sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. But now the guys pushed me towards the, the professional cooker, which is what I did. And I stuck with it. And it's something that found me at the end. So That's, I can't do anything else. That is so interesting. Now tell me, if, 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 if cooking and being a chef found you, what was your initial, initial dream or goal in life to, to be? What did you want to be? Civil engineer. And you had at any stage before, I mean, before you, you became so advanced within the chef industry, is, is there any time where you wanted to go back and uh, pursue? No. So you just had the love and you, you yes. just carry on with it. Funny enough, I studied computer science in Rosebank College. 
uh, while I was doing the internship at the same time because I never saw myself as a chef. I have my diploma in computer science, but I've never worked and no intention of going into that sector. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. I see here also you, you actually worked with, with um, um, internationally acclaimed chefs. Yes. And you also, that um, drew you to actually working with some of the big um, you know, names of, 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 of hotels and places. And tell us a bit more in terms of what, how, how was your experience working around uh, those environments? Uh, it's a, it's a country, it's a culture shock for a lot of people. You get into these, it's something that is completely out of your comfort zone. You've never seen some of the stuff. You have to eat the prawns for the first time, eating snails for the first time. It's something that you don't know. You don't ever think of knowing. Mm-hmm. But it has pushed me, have developed my own recipes on how to do those kind of things as well. And you, you mix the flavors, working with different type of people in different type of areas. So you know how to cope with pressure and, and you advance your skill. Yeah. Basically. And I was very privileged because the press, the ex-president of the association I knew him personally, the current president is one of the guys that grew me to be the chef that I am today. Mm-hmm. So I'm surrounded by guys that are, are very, very well known into the industry in South Africa and, uh, pushing me, always motivating me, sending texts as well. Now we like what you're doing with your guys there. Keep it up and things like that. So it's, Interesting. I mean, if if I had to say something, I mean, the the whole chef industry and the cookery industry, um, it's something that people do know that it's there. And um, I'm not sure in terms of what is the ratio in terms of male and female, uh, black and white, um, you know, the the presence of of especially black people. Um, Because, I mean, I see it as an industry where there's very limited people that are, are, are aware and pay attention to it. Maybe you can give us a bit of light in terms of um, you know, what is the rate at which, you know, either more people in terms of the black, black, black race are going into the chef industry and what is the limitations and the challenges of, of people actually entering into that space? Um, maybe you can just paint us a picture of the climate in terms of what's going on in, 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 the, in that space. Uh, when I started back in 2004, mm. uh, doing the internship and everything, it mm. was a white dominated field. Uh, mm. a lot of white young guys were the chefs, uh, but looking, I also had an opportunity to become a lecturer as well. And we had a majority of black students coming through. A lot of chefs coming through now. The food channels and things like that. A lot of black people are interested in what is the food, what the food they consume, how it looks like, how it gets prepared. So it, it's growing. Uh, the disadvantage mostly uh, that chases people away from the field is uh, the low rates of salaries starting after going to school, which the fees are very expensive. And uh, it's unfortunate that the the good schools or the the, the job-ready schools that you do get uh, are very expensive. And when you go to FET college, it takes takes a while to get the recognition and get into the, those high-paying jobs. So in terms of black people coming into the mainstream, mainstream as I call it, into your five stars or your hotels or your big paying jobs, it takes a while because of the the fees in the gap in between. Mm, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Now tell me, are, are there any, this is just me being so interested because I'm sure yes. even the people back home, some people actually want to find out more information about the whole chef industry. And I know there's a lot of um, young people that are very, very passionate about cooking, but... Some of them don't know in terms of 
um, what are the challenges to f- channels to follow and whatever the case is. But I mean, what I want to know in that, are there any initiatives, especially trying, trying to target the more impoverished, um, underprivileged areas, you know, to offer bursaries or opportunities to young people that can actually enter into the chef industry? Do you know of any kind of um, initiatives that are like that. Yes, uh, the South African Self Association, which is uh, I'm a part of, mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of um, it's an organization, it's a non-profit organization. Yeah. It's based in UJ Banting Road. They have their head office there. Uh, they have a structure like that that uh, disadvantaged kids get um, uh, your learnership programs, internship programs, going into high. Focus schools like I talked about your your HTAs your international hotel schools your fusion in Deben so they are that put thing kids into those kind of schools mm-hmm. uh, you find them at the Department of Tourism in partnership with the South African Chef Association yes and their head office is in Banting Road uh, UJ campus all right yes. I mean obviously within your experience I mean um, um, as as Togozani. Yes. What makes you different to any other chef? Uh, my ability to incorporate what I know as a South African ghetto gassy flavor with the international scene mm-hmm. of food. Mm-hmm. What I've learned with the guys who come from France, come from Germany and everywhere mm-hmm. and how I incorporate it into making it mine. Sure. Yes. All right. Now, I'm gonna actually merge your guys two um, experiences because I've just talked, spoken to Tomelo. Now, where do you guys um, relationship come comes in within this this journey of yours? Because you've just told me Tomelo your journey, Togazan, you just told me your journey. Tell me where does this the two combination? Where does it fit in from the marketing? He's a chef. What's going on here? In terms of where did we meet? Exactly. <laughs> this is the weirdest thing we met. Three months ago. Yeah. yeah, December. Yeah, we met in December and it was the weirdest thing. Um, there's a friend of mine that I work with as well, uh, Trumpo, he found a contact and he said, yo, we're looking to do something. We need somebody to help us put together a menu. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that friend referred him to Togozani. At first, we tried meeting with Togozani. He was always busy or he couldn't make it. Um, finally, I got we, we got to meet in sometime in December. Um, because he, they had already briefed him in terms of what we tried to do. Literally, when I think the first time we met, he came there with um, a menu and um, some men. Yeah, it was it was a booklet, uh, menus, and a chef's jacket. That you know how these chefs do. And I was like, why is this guy wearing a chef's jacket? Is he trying to show off or something? And then he literally came up and presented the whole stuff to us. He told us how he's. Uh, what he's done in the past or what is he doing currently, stuff he has put together, he showed us the menus he's done, he showed us the menu he can do for us. And you know, something like that, you're thinking, is, uh, is this just theory or can this guy be practical or, yeah, cause yeah. You, you wouldn't know much. And then we, yeah, from there, that's when everything started. He put together the entire kitchen, he put together the entire staff, he put together the entire menu. Uh, we said together, obviously, just to try find common ground. So, okay, these are the popular things. It's okay, I'm going to do this like this. And yeah, we put it together then. So we basically recently met when I got into this new journey of uh, getting into that restaurant business. Is it? And how's the restaurant business going? <laughs> <laughs> so they smile. <laughs> um, 
I think it's a tough, it's, it's, it's a bit of a tough industry. Okay. Obviously me going into the hours more on the, from a liquor side of things. Um, so when we met in terms of actually before we started the restaurant, we, my, our plan with a, with a, a friend of mine was to open a cocktail bar. That's how this whole thing started mm-hmm. We were thinking cocktail bar 40 to 50 cocktails served in that place It's going to be nice You're going to get people coming in We got a space We got a space sometime, uh, somewhere in Pretoria In Mendon And um, my only issue was that um, We are applying as two or three young black guys And to be honest We didn't get <laughs> anywhere with that We got declined left, right and center We got declined for that space Um because we, we didn't have a restaurant, so normally what you do, what they do when you apply for space, they, they will ask you for, okay, what's your current, um, turnover in whatever restaurant you have? And we didn't have that. What are your projected, uh, turnovers? Okay, we had the numbers to say, this is how much we can do. Mm. This is the concept and this is why it will fit here. And then let's say any, uh, food and beverage, um, industry experience, we, I just come, I just came from alcohol, so they were like, okay, no, we don't think it's gonna survive here. So we first started, wanted to do a cocktail bar, we got declined in mainland, we moved to a space in Midrand, we applied there, we got declined, I think we got declined three times, and then eventually we got a call from like the current landlord that we were with, and they said, we just saw your proposal, and we think you, you guys might fit here, and then obviously we went there, again, it's two young <laughs> gentlemen walking into that office, <laughs> And they're thinking, oh wow, this <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think yeah, we we eventually got the got the space, and then when I met with the Togozani, he was more on the food side of things, and then I was more on the on the drinks and the in the marketing or the marketing direction of how we're going to take it, what do we want, what's the look and feel. We obviously had a design company that um, helped us bring the the, the look and feel yeah. in, in, into life, and they they fitted exactly into that. Togozan, he will tell you more about how he came up with the menu in terms of the area and the consumers we were targeting and. Yeah, that's what he did. I just focused on the other side of things. All right, mm. cool. I mean, that's that, that's brilliant because that's actually exactly where I'm going. Because I, I want to find out from Togozani in terms yeah. of um, the the food that you 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 produce and with your team. Yes. And obviously, you try to produce food that um, or make food that is unique and that will obviously bring people, um, you know, more into into the restaurant. Now, just take us through in terms of what are some of the unique things that you are doing right right now with your team to produce the food that you do right now? Uh, we have uh, specifically dishes that you can only find at our establishment. We have uh, the shakshuka, which is a breakfast dish, uh, traditionally from Morocco. But I changed it into a South African feel mm-hmm. it, with a chakalaka instead of a tomato relish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's very different to any other concept. Yeah. And, uh, we, we cook with a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of love. It's a young team. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do semi casual, uh, a touch of fine dining there in 12 plates. So for us, an extra effort is needed into a kitchen as well because we are a new establishment, uh, a new name. Uh, they don't have a reference. Uh, if you've eaten at another type of a brand, you know the reference, you know their history. So with us, we had to work extra hard in terms of delivering the flavors so that you all come back for the great meal you've had. And we incorporated that with the great service experience as well mm-hmm. so that keeps you coming back at them. 
All right. All right. Now tell me, in terms of making sure that, um, you know, you pay attention to detail and your team six, because I mean, to be consistent and to make sure that you produce quality, there's a certain level of, or there's a certain ethos that you must, that you want to instill. What are some of the qualities that you make sure that your team uh, pays attention to and abide by to make sure that every single day they produce the best meals that the people will want to buy? Uh, uh, I'm a motivator. Naturally, I'm a leader. Uh, I've seen that growing up, a lot of my guys would follow in what I was doing. Um, so I've had an opportunity to become a lecturer as well for a good few months. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, I always make sure and constantly go into briefings as a day progress into this is what I need and I need it at this level. If it's not at this, it goes back. Mm-hmm. So that level of high demand, they know mm-hmm. and they keep attention as well. And okay. The stuff. Okay, and I'm sure that you have to also impress the man that's sitting next to you yes. with, with some of the stuff that you are doing. Yes. Yeah. But yes. now, if I turn to you, Dumelo, um, uh, you in this business and you new into it, right? Yeah. And now, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to? Because, I mean, I'm sure it's a new space and you're having to learn so much. And uh, at the same time, you have to uh, work extra hard because you have competitors. Yeah. I think um, the toughest thing going into it is that currently we... I'm learning as we go. There's no past experience. <laughs> I might take what I used to do with restaurants in my previous work. And in terms of staff, I think we had a, a, a very dynamic team. I, I once got involved in a recruitment program where we had to hire 60 people all at once. So in terms of recruitment and, and getting the right people and, and training and, and getting them the, like even the, the lowest, if it's a waiter, the, those are the most important people. They're not the junior staff. They actually should be a senior because yes. they speak to a customer at the end of the day. They, they interact. They're the first point of interaction. So I think it was a learn as you go. Yes, I put in uh, a couple of stuff that I've learned in terms of, as I mentioned, the recruitment, the drinks part of it, the marketing part of it, the direction that we want to take and uh, the music that must play at a certain time and the music must play at a certain time and the levels it must play in. So it, I think I'm looking forward to learning more about the, the food part of it is something that I, I, I'm really interested in. So, you know, I can literally stand in the kitchen and watch what are they doing? Oh, what is this? Where is this from? Oh, okay, cool. So I think that the whole food part of it is something that I'm, I'm really enjoying learning going forward because I think that will call the covered thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <to me. laughs> so for me, it's, it's, it's learning about the, the, the food part, the, the growing and, if you were to to look to franchise, what would be the way to to franchise? How would you open another one? And yeah, I think all that stuff that we made it a food, to be honest. <laughs> all right. So now um, we deal with motivation, and we're interested in, in 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 the in the in the drive of people. Now, what is it that drives you every single day? Okay, firstly, before we get there, um, who are some of or who is your role model or who are some of your role models that keep you going every single day? When you wake up in the morning, there's that one person or one thing that motivates you to do your best every single day. Uh, I would say for me, it's my mom. Uh, she's been around, supportive, not supporting at a decision that I decide to make, mm-hmm. uh, being the man of the house. I call myself that uh, So with her sticking around And supporting every decision that I take Even though she disagrees in it When I take my, or make up my mind And she's there 
So her drive and her keeping me in my prayer in her prayers all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So everything I look to her to go forward and yeah. everything. All right, that's great. And you? I think for for me in terms of I know he used to look up to a couple of chefs. Um, I think it's it's the people that have managed me and the people or the companies I've worked with with the senior staff that has been. I mean, with Educative Council, we know there's uh, there's Run and Kill over to who own that company. They. We actually, we actually had him in our show a few, a few months back. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally used to sit in an office. His office was a glass open. He's, he was always like that. He wants to see what's happening. I used to sit like directly, uh, directly across and he was one of those guys. He's, he's quite chilled about things. And when you think there's a crisis, he would just come up and say, no man, relax, just do this. And then, so he was that, uh, type of guy. I think in terms of leadership, that's something I definitely learned from him. There's quite a few people that managed me in my, my work, um, workplaces that I've, also looked up to um, a guy who used to do internet, like bring. I mean, Philip Morris we used to do take international concepts from Russia, where they were the leaders in terms of those concepts and adapt them to the South African market. I used to work under a guy named Playing Dots. He was he was the consumer engagement manager for, for for Africa, and he taught me a whole lot of stuff in terms of thinking outside the box and trying to spin everything around. So I think he was also motivation. And yeah, the other stuff is obviously family. I have a, I have a son that I definitely wake up and make sure. Yeah, yeah. And then there's obviously my mom. I think with uh, all the history that I've been through, sure. you know, she's definitely. A person to, that I look up to, yeah. Look, man, both of you guys fit the exact category of our show, and I think you've done such a brilliant job as as you share your stories. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's definitely, definitely motivating. One of the things that I actually noted is that um, as I spend time during the weeks, um, as I prepare for the show, there's something that I came across, and um, it's actually uh, Bishop T D Jakes. Mm-hmm. He said in in a video that I saw on 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 social media, mm-hmm. he says that. Um, when you spend time with people that do the same thing as you, mm-hmm. um, they end up competing with you. And those mm-hmm. kind of people you don't need. Yeah. You actually need someone that's doing something different and they are perfect and something that you're actually lacking. Mm-hmm. And then when you actually merge with that person, you actually fast forward each other and, and propel each other forward to reaching whatever dream that you, that you want to achieve. And he, he said, he ended up saying that those are the kind of people that you need within your team, not people that are doing the same thing because you're going to compete. But you need someone that is not good, that, that's good at what you're not good at. And this is what I'm seeing between the two of you, that he's a chef, you're a person that is in business, and you're letting him do the thing. And I'm sure you chose him because you, you, you saw him as the best man yeah. to be the one that's going to handle the, the one of the most important parts of the actual business. Yeah, um, definitely. I think, especially with him, when after we met, we just said, um, put together a menu. He thought I'm going to have much input. I don't have input. I looked at him just said, what you going to do? Cause I didn't, I didn't know much about that food industry. I won't lie. Yes. The few things you learn from doing yeah. tastings and dinner pairings, but it's not enough to put together an entire kitchen for a restaurant, an entire menu. He literally put together a menu. I called him the other day and I said, the next day and I said, Oh yeah, by the way, we need to kit up the kitchen. What do you need? He literally walked in there and he said, I need this here. I need this here. This is the flow that it's going to go in. And my grillers that you come here, the scallop is I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then we moved. <laughs> so th- th- there was not much. And then obviously on the other side of things, in terms of the the design and and, and the marketing, in terms of launching and the campaigns that we do, and, and in terms of uh, the stuff that we're rolling out for the store, that was uh, eventually on, on on my side and the guys that that I work with. So there's another team that I work with. So yeah, all right. In terms of merging, it was that's a hundred percent correct. Um, you cannot do everything. You cannot have your hands in every pot. You, 
rather listen and learn and then obviously if you do have the know-how try uh, add your input but always learning from other people that's the best way of doing it and ask questions yeah always ask questions and things that you don't understand yeah. because the guys are like how is this done uh, how would we go about it then we sit down the campaigns that we like is saying the rollout of the restaurant mm-hmm. we we have things that it comes to me and say what do you think about this and we sit down changing in terms of dates and what we do okay it fits this particular date because of certain so and so so we do like that we sit down he gives me his views i give him my views and we sit down with the rest of the team like he's mentioning and we combine the views and say okay this is the way that we think should we go forward yeah i think and a simple example of that is uh, something that we have uh, coming up it's like a branch compa- a branch campaign that we have with uh, a, a certain champagne i'll come to you and say this this champagne wants to do a branch for whatever people and sell a ticket at this price it's like which champagne is it i'm like this is it a demi sec is it a brute? it's quite sweet it's like okay cool this is what you must put in the menu i'm like okay thank you i'll put it on the menu and obviously i'll take that uh, the marketing direction and everything but he'll put together the menu I'll put together the look and feel of the poster The time, where is it marketed, where do we market it What time do you post it You know, Because there's obviously moods in terms of posting You don't just post any time yeah. And then so we learn from that And then we just move forward In terms of collaborating I think that's very important It's a beautiful thing man And the thing yeah. that I love, uh, love about what you guys are doing You are so professional And making sure that every part of what you're doing There's attention to detail and everything happens proper Because I don't like this tendency of thinking That black people cannot produce Good exactly. quality things, exactly. you know. So to uphold that standard and quality, it's, yeah. it's a really beautiful thing. And and to see both of you guys working so well and in synergy, and you know, um, there's no level of jealousy. There's no one looking down on another. There's that um, mutuality that you guys have and that you share. And this is why you actually have what you have today. And I think props to you guys yeah. um, for what you're doing. And it's really, really been a great, great show. We're nearing the end of the show. Yeah. And I think just before we close, just quickly, quickly, because we are a motivational show. I just want from both of you guys in a short 20 to 30 seconds. What is it that you have for young people out there that you can motivate? Because we all about um, hustling. We all about pushing. We all about um, reaching for goals and to stay motivated and to just reach for that next level for whatever that you're doing. What are some of the wise words that you would like to give to the young people back home? I think the main thing for me is always protect your goals. And the operative word there being protect your goals. The, na- the naysayers will come. They'll tell you, no, you can't do this. Why are you doing this? Always protect your goals. Make sure you, you're looking after it. And, you know, I think in terms of, in terms of growing and, and whatever you're doing currently, if it's a job, you're working nine to five. As I said earlier, you're getting paid to learn. Do it. Carry on. One day it will happen. And whenever you get knocked down, that's the best thing because then you, you're going to come again and you're going to fix your stuff and fix it. So I think, yeah, that's the main thing. And mine is say, believe in your goal and go for it. Yeah? Believe and go for it. All right. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much to Tumelo and Tokozani. Guys, it's been a, a real great pleasure to have you on the show. Um, unfortunately, as we call it, we always call it the shortest hour of the week. <laughs> it's the Unplugged and In Charge Radio Show. But yeah, to you back home, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Spokuzi, DJ Spokuzi. You can find me on Twitter at Spokuzi. You can find me on Instagram at Spokuzi. Thank you so much for listening in. It's been a brilliant, brilliant show. Um, it's another edition of the Unplugged and In Charge Radio Show. We're back again next week. Same time, same place. Three 3 to 4 p.m. You can be with me. Signing out. Cliffcentral.com.